there is a chapter of Dogen titled Shoaku Makusa, which translates as refraining from harming or not doing wrong. could say non-harming, call that. Sometimes it's called refraining from all evil whatsoever. That's considered the first of the pure precepts. And everything else follows from that. Then doing good, doing good for others. And all the other precepts about right action, right speech, right thought, flow from that, that non-harming. Sometimes in the Zen peacemaker order, they start with that as another way of saying not knowing. In this fascicle, in the very beginning, Dogen says, the first thing we hear is refraining from harm. Any teaching that does not sound like that, like that, like not doing wrong or refraining from harming or non-harming, different ways we could translate it into English. Any teaching that doesn't sound like that is not the teaching of the Buddha. It's a misleading us. It's not genuine Dharma. So, good start with that. Now, As some of you know, the historical Buddha is known as Shakyamuni, meaning the wise one of the Shakyas. The Shakyas was the Buddha's clan, sometimes called the kingdom or the state or the area. It's the size of a small U.S. state. And it was his family, and they were, his father was a king we could call, or the leader, and historically Buddha lived among those people both before he began practice, he was a, call it a prince, call it a leader, um, clan chief, and then even afterwards many of his disciples were people who were related to him from this clan, and also many others were people who he knew both as a prince and those what you might call upper-class individuals of various other neighboring clans. That's who he had his interactions with. At one time, 
the Buddha was faced with a circumstance where there was a prince, king of a neighboring clan, his name is Virudaka in the sutras, um, who wanted to attack the Shakyas. Not only wanted to attack them, but wanted to slaughter them. There are eight different versions of this account of these events in the Chinese sutras and two complete uh, uh, discussions of it in the Pali Sutra, and then there's at least 20 um, references to it in other sutras. And there's, the versions are slightly different, but I am going to simplify it and not go into all the details. Essentially, um, the, the king of a neighboring uh, land was wanted a, a second wife. His first wife died. He wanted another wife. And the shock asked for the Shakyas to do it. The Shakyas were very haughty. This is the Buddha's clan. They were very haughty and they thought they were above all others. And uh, they played a trick on this king. They sent him someone who they offered for him to marry and he was interested and they said she was a very uh, uh, important person, noble person, but actually she was a slave. And in that society that was considered, uh, what should I say, a great insult because they were very caste-oriented and um, status-oriented. And from this marriage, there was a number of children. Well, one of them was called Prince Verudica, or Verudica, and he was a prince because his father was a king. And when he was in his teens, he went to visit. He always said, I, wanted to visit, I want to visit my Shakya family. And for some reason or other, the, the Shakyas always put it off and the family always put it off till one point in his, when he was a teen, he went. And it was a very strange visit. So, and on his, after leaving, some they had left uh, some possessions, so he sent back an attendant to go get it at the Shakyas, and when he went, when the attendant went back, he discovered that the Shakyas were doing this strange, very deep cleaning in the place where the prince stayed, and he didn't understand it, so he asked someone, and the person said, oh well, you know, the reason that is, is because the prince's mother was actually a slave, and not uh, not very acceptable. And we have to purify any place where the prince sat. And the prince was very, when he heard about this, he was furious. He told his father and his mother this, and they, they counseled him, oh, don't, don't, you know, leave it. 
And he said, no, it's a great insult. It's a great, terrible thing they did to us. And he said, no, no, no. They said, no, 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 no. However, when he became older, he came to power. His father, King Prasujanat, I'm not sure if I how to pronounce his name, but it doesn't make a difference, um, died. And he was furious, would come and go, but at some point he finally said, I'm going to go have war against the Shakyas. I'm going to wipe them out. So, the Buddha heard of this, and he went and he sat on the border between the Kosala land and the Shakya land. He sat there, just sat Sazen. He sat under an old tree. And the sutras have different accounts of it. But the conquering army of Arudaka came there and the Buddha was in his path. And for various reasons, the Buddha was sitting under an old dying tree that was on the Shakya land and there were these beautiful trees in the Kasala land. So the Kasala prince Virudaka asked the Buddha, why are you sitting under this dying tree? You're, you're a very worthy person. You should be sitting under these wonderful trees. And he says, well, there's different accounts of what he said, but essentially he said, it's important for me, it feels Wonderful to be under this tree of the Shakya land, even if it's dying. Another um, account says that the Buddha said, I want to be under the tree where there is joy, peace, and love. Um, Virudaka stayed there contemplated this for a while and turned his army back from doing what he wanted to do. However, and here the different sutras disagree whether it was one time or three times that the Buddha sat there in front of the army as his way of protesting what Virudaka was doing. As his way of attempting to keep Virudaka from doing this terrible thing. However, whether it's one time or three times doesn't make a difference for our purposes, um, because at some point the Buddha said, I'm not going to continue doing it, even if he, if he was told that The army was coming again. And he was... So, Virudaka's army came another time. And one of the Buddha's attendants, Ananda, said to him, Why? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you not going again? He said, Well, he says, The Shakya people will be killed. They have insulted Virudaka. 
and the neighboring kingdom of Kosala, but even worse, they never felt sorry for it. They never apologized. So no matter what they did, this is going to be the consequences for them. And there's nothing further that I could do. Now, one of the Buddha's attendants says, but, that, but it's also my country. I'm going to do something, and I have magical powers. And the Buddha says, it's their sin, and they can't escape it. You can, If they don't confess and atone for it, if they don't admit they're wrong and try to make amends, no one can save them. So nevertheless, this Madhulyayana, who is the Buddha's senior student, went and attempted to do something, but even with all his magical powers, he couldn't. And it said that most of the Buddha's clansmen were wiped out in this. Now, I don't want to go more into the details, um, but... I want to emphasize what the Buddha did. There's more in the sutras about this, and if you want it, and if there was reason to, I can go into the details. But what's important is what the Buddha did as his way of protesting, as his way of responding to this terrible slaughter that was going to happen. And we know that throughout Buddhist histories, others have done things like that. In fact, we all have, in most of our lifetime, are familiar with the fact that in Vietnam War, there were Buddhist monks, practitioners, who their way of protesting, of attempting to stop terrible actions was to sit. In some cases, to sit and put themselves on fire as a way of voicing their opposition. But notice they didn't put other people on fire, but or they simply sat there. We know also in the Tibetan uh, ongoing genocide that's happening between the Chinese and the Tibetans that there are Chinese monks who sit there in front of the Tibetan no, not Chinese monks excuse me, Tibetan monks who sit there in front of the Chinese armies and some of them do it in even more extreme versions um, including setting themselves alight as their way to attempt to deal with the genocidal actions of the Chinese police and Chinese armies. We have it even in our history of the peaceful sit-ins at lunch counters in the South and other kinds of peaceful sit-ins. So, On one hand, there's the Buddhist teaching of non-harming, of not doing evil. On the other hand, there's also the Buddhist teaching of how to respond to 
horrible situations. The army that came and killed the Shakyas, which at least historically in the sutras is listed, was a terrible situation. And, you know, there's more discussion of what eventually happened um, as a result of Arudika's doing that and Arudika's having, uh, what should I say, terrible things to befall to him, including being wiped out, being killed as a leader as a result of it. But I leave that aside. So I want thought to bring this up to talk about one the side of practicing non-harming not doing evil which is really what our practice all is all about and all the different precepts of our teaching it, this is what caught in self-centered dream and holding to self-centered thoughts leads to violence if we and hold to them and don't act. And yet, there's the other side of seeing when and how to skillfully respond to difficult, harmful, painful circumstances. So, we can explore this together. I've don't want to say too much else, and you're welcome to bring up what you wish. Maybe I'll respond. Maybe would you just say what you wish. But how do we keep these, both these aspects of refraining from doing, whether we call it evil, wrong, harmful, how do we be not knowing and yet also set forth both listening and acting in a skillful, appropriate way to nurture compassion and love.